So you know how STEM turned into STEAM? I literally mentioned that in my story briefly. Tell me, tell me about more about it because all I said was like, because hey, sneak peek, my lady is both involved in STEM and the arts. And I was like, so I think I, they call that STEAM now, but I don't know what that is. So tell me more about STEAM. So I'm not, I'm going to do a quick like googly search while I'm talking. Cause I know it's um, science, technology, engineering, art. And, and I want to say mass. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's everything but social science for some Which reason. Which makes me kind of mad. Why because... do we need a word for it? If it's just everything children learn. I'm exactly. sorry, but it gets me really salty. I love art. Like I love art. And I love science and I love history, but quite frankly, I don't think we need a word that means all of them. So I understand like what STEM, like women in STEM, great. I loved what it started out, but once they added art, there was a huge divide. And I tried, I think STEM, I liked STEM as all of those things, because like, to me, those things are all related in my head. Yeah. So it's like all things are related, for... which is a whole other issue. But yes, yes. S T E M makes sense because all mm-hmm. those things go together really, really well. Mm-hmm. So Steam also, when this came out, I thought of the video game distribution company. Like it's literally called Steam. So that's my first unrelated, thought, which was completely unrelated. But I forget. I don't think we actually talked about this. This was like from. This was for Susan Johnston's class because I remember we got on a tangent for STEAM and right before I was going to be like, yo, when people mean STEAM, they mean like how art is related to science, not art in its pure form. Because then like our art museums, STEAM, like are we considering them? But this is labels, but exactly. um, You could go into an art museum and you could do a science lesson in an art museum. And there are lots of things that you can pull out of that. For example, when I worked at the Smithsonian Libraries, which fun fact is a bunch of books, there were books that were like art of animals, but then you could use those to do like scientific research about how people perceived animals and biological diversity throughout history. So science illustration is amazing, but that's the thing. I don't, I hate labels. I hate like the drawing lines, but people have already, which I think like art isn't always scientifically accurate. Like, you know, those paintings of the cows that are just a big chonk. Yeah. The old timey chonk cow paintings where it's like a square cow. If you have not seen this, Google square cow. Not scientifically accurate, but it. <laughs> if I could be artistic in any way, I would have gone into scientific illustration and specifically worked for recreating archaeological sites because it bugs the shit out of me with some of the uh, recreation. Learn to code and then you could do it. Women in Technology Day, learn to code and you could make make it in a computer. Numbers confuse me, guys. We had a photographer at our dig in Ireland and he looks like a retired Super Mario. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Lexi, what's the worst technological invention? Man, the worst technological invention is the shake weight. It's pretty bad. No explanation needed. No explanation needed. And 
Haley, what is, aside from your cell phone and computer, what technology do you use the most? I was about to say books, but that's <laughs> technology. That is a technology. Printing sure. press, technology. Printing press, yeah. Printing press, yeah, books. And I'm Alana, and personal communication technology peaked in 2015. Not wrong. Go. I miss a home button. If you have subscribed to our Patreon coming this week, actually, because this will come out the weekend after the D&D game comes out on the Patreon. So if you've subscribed to the Patreon, uh, or if you know me in real life, you know that my least favorite thing in the whole world is called a dongle. And it makes Haley and Lexi laugh every single time I call it a dongle. But it is, in fact, a dongle. What was wrong with having a headphone jack and a charging port? What was wrong with that? Amazon wanted you to buy more stuff. That's not Amazon. That's Apple. You know, uh, there's going to be there's going to be no port soon. Yeah. I'm going to throw myself into the ocean when there's no ports. I mean, that's a funny pun. Live I a- appreciate the pun. Although if there's no ports, when I drop ports like phone ports, not the boat. Ports, <laughs> I didn't I'm going to talk the about pie. the beach. When I drop my phone in the sand, it won't get sand in it. Yeah. No. no. That's so if Apple's phones fault. go, if phones go, no ports and are just, if phones go, no ports no home button i'm going to go live in a little cabin in the forest and grow vegetables and make candles and make a living selling candles sorry to take your job Haley. it's okay but i'll come join you i'm gonna do i'm gonna do dip candles though not it's okay i know how to do those too you guys can fill different niches though Haley, come live in the forest with me different styles can we be like near some body of water because i need to be yeah, like a little lake house a little lake house in the, forehead, in the forest i love it no that's truly apple that's what fault. we're gonna do i forgot I well, the technology you want is the old technology not 2015 yeah. i mean you want like 1515 you want like candles <laughs> in the woods yeah kind of no, 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 but Switching. i need to i need to think of this now because when apple changed its port to be not like the long flat for the phone but the small the lightning, flat, the lightning, they, a few years after they changed the port for the computer. However, the port for the computer fits Android phones and I don't understand it. It's USB-C. Welcome to Lady History, the podcast where I shit on it's, Apple. I understand that, but I don't understand why Apple made such a stink about the with phone, their phone the charger. The phone is too thin for a USB-C. But like, I know why? it's stupid. It's stupid. Univac, the giant electronic brain made only by Remington Rand, takes business statistics from magnetic tape, letters, numbers, and punctuation marks, processing them through its electronic circuits at phenomenal speeds. Univac can compute payrolls electronically, then produce printed checks in a flash, over 8,000 checks an hour with this high-speed printer. Univac leads the field of electronic computing. My lady was suggested by some fan, but that fan thinks they didn't suggest it. So I don't know whether I should shout them out or not, but shout outs to you, fan, who suggested this and then forgot you suggested it when approached about it. Cheers. (laughs) You may know who Margaret Hamilton is. And no, I'm not talking about the actress who played the Wicked Witch of the West. Not to be confused. They both have the same name. You may know who Margaret Hamilton is, and you might not even know that you know who Margaret Hamilton is, because if you've been around on the interwebs for the past, what, five years, you've probably seen that viral picture that's been going around. It's been on the internet for ages. It's of a girl standing next to a stack of NASA program files. And when you run a women's history podcast, 
people screenshot it and send it to you all the time. Um, maybe not a shared experience, but every, everyone in the Zoom room knows what I'm talking about. It's and a very niche experience. <laughs> it's a niche experience. But that then you see a picture of Margaret if you've seen that picture. And if you haven't seen that picture, there are several links to it in the show notes in my sources and for further learning. You'll probably remember it when you see it. And I'll probably put it on the Instagram, I guess. Margaret actually started her career teaching high school math. And then she moved to Boston because her husband got into Harvard. And she began programming weather predicting software at MIT. Her skills were noticed and she was moved to a lab at MIT where she developed software to identify enemy aircraft for U.S. Air Force. She was then transferred to MIT's instrumentation laboratory, where she began to write programs for NASA. It was the 1960s, so degrees in software engineering did not exist yet. In fact, Margaret was actually the human who is claimed to have coined the term software engineer. So, of course, they couldn't exist if she came up with the word herself. So at this point, Margaret and her team kind of had to work by trial and error because they were like the first ever software engineers. They were working to create the first software for NASA to use to control in-flight systems for their Apollo missions. And Margaret's specific role on the team was to create an error alert system that could let ground control know when in-flight malfunctions occurred during the mission. So like communication between ground control and Major Tom. What? Nothing. I'm sorry. I make jokes. If you don't get the reference, you don't get the reference. She also made this program that could like recover critical information when errors or crashes occurred because at the time it was really important that they get that information back, especially if they were mid-mission. And when Aldrin and Armstrong landed on the moon, they actually had Margaret to thank for getting them there safely because the error alert system worked right and they were able to correct errors in ground control while the mission was occurring. And the crazy thing is that while Margaret was doing all this work, computer programs were pieces of paper. They were punch cards, which I don't know if you guys know what a punch card is, but it's like you used to use it to clock in and out of a company. Basically, before computers had their own file storage, they had pieces of paper with holes in them, and that's how they communicated. And so programmers had to punch holes in paper when they wrote programs and then feed that paper back through a computer to make the program run again, which is why she has the giant stack of paper. So through these punched holes and papers, the computer could read the codes that the engineers were writing. You know, that really iconic photo of her is her standing with a stack of computer programs, which is obviously not how we think of computer programs today. I don't think most modern software engineers could be photographed next to their programs like that. Maybe they could stand next to a server storing it and pose, but it's, it's a very different visual. And Margaret once said that to her, writing the programs was just as exciting as going to the moon. So she might not be an astronaut, but she loved her job and she loved what she did and she found it just as magical and exciting. And I think I love how this connects into if you've heard our Sally Ride episode, how Sally Ride was like, I, I just loved to be in the space. Margaret was like, I just love to punch the holes that make the computer go beep boop. That is, she said it much better than me, but I like saying beep boop. She left MIT in the 70s. And because she left MIT, she stopped working for NASA because NASA was contracting MIT for that work. And she began working for a private company. And then later she founded a company called Hamilton Technologies. And in 2016, Obama awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which she received from Obama. Very cool. In 2017, in 2017, Lego made an action figure of Margaret and the original prototype is at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., so you can see little Lego Margaret in a little Lego Margaret office 
at NASM. If it's on display, it might not be on display. I don't know. The museum is a mess. It's under construction. And today, Margaret is 84 years young and lives in Indiana. Good for her. I really like that sign-off. Margaret is 84 years young. If you look at her, her pictures and stuff, you're just like, yeah, she's young and hip and cool. Guess what? We're on Patreon. Tears start at just $1 a month. And we have three of them. Become a brilliant backer for $1. Find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter. Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational super fan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it. Augusta Ada King, Countess of Lovelace, nay Byron, or Ada Lovelace, wore a lot of different hats in the tech world, like mathematician, writer, but we're going to talk about how she worked on Charles Babbage's proposed mechanical general purpose computer called the Analytical Engine, which leads to her gaining the title as the first computer programmer. Literally in my notes, it's like this next thing is, so that was a mouthful. But don't worry, I'm going to break this down and to help, I'm going to have a backstory. As a child of the English aristocratic world, Ada was tutored privately, which included mathematics, which you might be thinking, unusual education for a lady in the 1800s. Well, her mother was also in the mathematician world. She studied mathematics and thus got her introduction from her mother. And being in the aristocratic English life, she was able to have the private tutors and foster a fascination with flying. She would try to understand and investigate how like birds can fly and how their wings worked and saw like what did feathers have versus other materials. However, that really didn't translate to what she's famous for. So back to the general purpose computer I was talking about. In 1843, she published her thoughts on Charles Babbage's work. And he's a mechanical engineer who's known as quote, the father of the computer, and this analytical engine where she outlines the possibilities of it as a what they called a mechanical general purpose device. In my terms and my understanding of hours of research and just being a Lovelace fan is the beginning workings of a computer. And I'll like explain this further because this was a huge breakthrough for the computer world. Of course, we have to turn to a museum for some guidance. So the Science Museum in London breaks it down really well in like an objects and stories kind of motif on their website, of course, in the show notes. And it highlights the invention of computers. Part of it is Lovelace's breakthrough as she found conclusions on a deep theoretical power of computational mathematics. Ada even said, quote, the engine can arrange and combine its numerical quantities exactly 
as if they were letters or any other general symbols. And this was in 1843. So breaking this down from what they were talking about in the 1800s model of what they considered a computer and today's computers. Computers at their very core are just very fast calculators. Numbers represent other things. So literally, as we choose anything, me researching Ada Lovelace, I'm typing in the computer in Google, Ada Lovelace biography. So my Google is taking that, or my computer, as I should say, my computer is taking that command to Google and Google's program is taking my calculations, basically, and that's giving me results. That's why a lot of search engines say X amount of results calculated in X amount of time, because it's a really fast calculator pulling as much stuff as it can like grab from the command you gave it. And that's what a lot of code has to do, giving a command and giving results. Ada's whole reasoning was that numbers can be manipulated to be symbolic of other concepts. And while their computer and you in the show notes you'll see is not what we see as a computer. It wasn't even like those big computer models that take up the whole room, like the hard drive is that whole wall and a lot of people are just like taking. This is going to be such a weird. Maybe you guys can help me with the description. Like in the 50s where the computer hard drive was the whole wall and part of it was like taking out pins and plugging like them back in. Like what Margaret Hamilton was exactly, working on. Exactly. Exactly. Little pieces of paper that get shoved in giant boxes. Exactly. I am putting wires into a board filled with holes to move the voices around. Exactly. This honestly looked like a typewriter. It looked like innards of a typewriter if you took off its like nifty shell. And that's basically like for the 1800s, pretty freaking fascinating, especially for this guy being called like the father of the computer and her being theoretically the first programmer. And I'll close this story with this quick story, snip, quick snapshot, if you will, more so of nugget of goodness with another quote of hers, courtesy of the Science Museum in London. Quote, a new, a vast, and a powerful language is developed for the future of analysis in which to wield its proofs so that these may become more speedy and accurate practical application for the purpose of mankind that the means hitherto in our possession have rendered it possible. That's a lot of stuff. But basically what she's saying is that she helped create this new language for life. I like the idea of a computer programming class being a language. Like, you know how you have to do. It definitely is. It definitely is. And this is like her creating that. Like she created a language where calculations, especially algebraic patterns and calculations were its own language. And I truly believe schools should just, if they have a computer science class, that could count as a language. You've got to learn to take no for an answer once in a while. I wouldn't let you give me that answer. Take a look at yourself. Why should I want to? Tomorrow then. Okay. The most beautiful woman in the world was more than just a pretty face. Born Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler on November 9th, 1914, a Scorpio, in Vienna, Austria. She was the only child, so she got lots of attention from her father, who was a banker, and was also really into, like, technical things and would take Hedy on, like, long walks to look at the machinery. At the time, this was, like, the printing press and streetcars and etc. Post-World War I kind of thing. 
When Hetty was just five years old, she would take her music box apart and put it back together just to see how it worked. Her mother was a concert pianist, so Hetty was also in ballet and piano classes from a very young age. Uh, she had both STEM and arts influences, like I was saying. I think they call that STEAM now, but I'm not sure. Hetty became a stage actress at 16 and studied acting in Berlin. I'm summarizing the acting stuff so I can talk about the tech stuff because that's what this episode is. This episode is not actresses. Wink nudge. This episode is ladies in tech. In 1933, when Hetty was 19, she married a man named Fritz Mandel, who was like a fan of her acting. Uh, And this marriage was unhappy. Fritz was an arms dealer and a Nazi sympathizer, which is super confusing to me because Hetty was Jewish. So like, did he just not know or? He just cared more about money than people, including his own wife. Money and her pretty face, I guess. I guess. While married, Hetty was forced to basically play house and put on dinner parties for people who wanted her dead. But they would talk about the technology of war and how radio signals worked and how they could be jammed like while she was present. This is a surprise tool that will help her later. You can talk about things in front of ladies because they won't understand it. That's true. Flash ass. That's true. I thought you were going to call me out for my meme. No, I was just talking about how, you know, women, women be house. Women, women be house. Women don't be info. Women don't be info. Right. In 1937, Hetty fled their home and the marriage on bicycle in the middle of the night. And she headed for London, which is such a badass move. All right, then. Go, Hetty. Do you. In London, Hetty met Louis B. Mayer of MGM Studios, who took her to Hollywood, where she met super cool people like Howard Hughes. Uh, Howard and Hetty dated, but really they were more like inventive partners. Hetty invented a faster plane by combining the designs of fins on fish and things that make birds fast. And Howard like gave her little little technology bits that she could tinker with while she was on set. She had these like little machinery bits in her in her trailer. So like when she was on break, she could just go, bzz, you know. That's what technology does, right? Technology goes bzzz. Howard Hughes once said to her, you're a genius. Uh, And she totally was. Hetty once said herself, quote, improving things comes naturally to me. Unfortunately, she didn't get a lot of credit for this plane, nor really anything else. Because in 1940, Hetty Lamar met a man named George Anthel? 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 This man, George, who was an inventor and a composer, so also STEM and arts. And they invented frequency hopping, you know, World War II era. And this was a way for, I don't really understand technology, but this was like basically U.S. and allied forces could get around German U-boats blocking their signals and etc. Hattie and George patented this and they were like, here, U.S. Navy, you can have it for free because you're fighting Nazis and that's good. You can have it. And the Navy was like, no, thanks. Like, thank you. But no no thanks, it's too big. So we're just going to put it in this drawer and it's going to gather dust and goodbye until the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 when they like dug it back out and kind of adapted it. And that became the basis for Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and GPS. Listeners, when you go to your Instagram app after listening to this episode and you go to follow Lady History Pod on Instagram, you should also go follow She Rates Dogs because it's a very funny Instagram account and it's these women, mostly women, who are like documenting their shitty interactions with mostly men 
and there was this one guy who was like talking to this lady and he called her a hypocrite for using the internet and he was like the internet was invented by men I was like okay well a woman literally invented wi-fi so go off but like go off I guess or one of the first computer programmers was also was a, a woman. woman. So I, I literally was just like, he was like, the internet was invented by a man and you use all like daddy's money. Who's also a man. And like your world is run by men and blah, 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 blah. I don't even remember the context, but I do remember. Chill like, out, bruh. Chill out, bruh. I do remember just being like, mm. a woman literally invented Wi-Fi though. So, so shut, shut the fuck up. Yeah. A woman invented Wi-Fi. I think Hetty preferred her technology and inventing career to her acting career because she once said that, quote, films have a certain place in a certain time period. Technology is forever, which I think is a really interesting thing to say because like technology, especially right now, like goes obsolete really fast. But she's like, technology is forever because it builds the foundation. I think that's what she meant, at least that like it builds the foundation for more and more things. Hence that whole Wi-Fi and Bluetooth discussion that it's like it's all about foundations. She actually had some patents denied because people thought she was a Nazi spy because all of that made more sense than her being a woman and inventing these things, which first of all, get out of here with your misogyny, but also like she was Jewish. So insert lady doing equations meme. In 1998, she was awarded the Electronic Frontier Foundation Award for her frequency hopping device and commented, quote, it's about time. She was also inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2014, 14 years after her death in 2000. She is still kind of known as the mother of Wi-Fi, which is fun. There was a, a documentary that came out a while ago about her called Bombshell, and the trailer will be in our YouTube playlist. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. week on Lady History, it's lights, camera, action. We're heading to the cinema 